Welcome to the Big Hairy Podcast by clean beauty brand, The Beauty Works. The podcast that explores hair and the meaningful ways it's linked to identity, culture, ethnicity and gender. I'm Sarah Kaywood and today for the first half of this episode, I'll be talking to Heffy Wheeler. She's the queen of colour and TikTok with over 100,000 followers and 2 million likes. She'll be talking about how her radical hair colours empowered her and helped her through her prenatal and postnatal depression. And as soon as I was old enough to be allowed to have my hair done, that is exactly what I did. And I found it as another way to express myself. We'll also be joined by Terry White, the former editor of Empire magazine, writer and columnist for The Sunday Times, The Guardian and Vogue, and best-selling author. Her book, Coming Undone, talks about building her beehive up into battle armour during her mental health crisis in New York, when to everybody else, she seemed to be living the dream and had been named one of Folio's top women in US media. You could track, actually, my illness along with kind of how extreme my hair was. We'll be talking about using hair as an armour. The external construction of how I looked became a really important part of masking what was going on to the outside world. And the connection between hairdressing and mental health. To me, the connection between hairdressing and mental health is really important to the point where we've got a mental health policy in the salon. For the second half of the episode, I'll be joined by Julianne Ponen, who is the owner of Creative Nature Superfoods. Julianne is known for her long brown hair and today she talks about how her hair has impacted her journey as an entrepreneur. To start with, my hair was my identity and I needed it as straight as it possibly could be to be as professional as possible. We'll also be joined by Taz Thornton, a business and empowerment coach who is known for her vibrant pink hair and she'll be talking about how her trademark look has impacted her career. It was a real spur of the moment. Go on, chop it all off and make it pink. We'll be talking all things pink. I think my favourite part is if I swill it off in the bath and then I get out of a very, very giant pink bath. And strong, independent women. And I just thought, why do I need somebody else to make me look stronger when I'm Mm. speaking the exact same thing that I would have said in the first place? This is a really powerful and inspiring episode, so let's meet these incredible women. Heffy and Terry, welcome to the Big Hairy Podcast. I love the name of it, the Big Hairy Podcast. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Ladies, thank you so much for coming on and talking about, well, I've been thinking about this a lot today because we've been batch recording Big Hairy Podcasts. And it's funny because we did one earlier today about natural changes, basically menopausal, hormonal, that sort of stuff. And actually, same things came up that are going to come up with what we're going to talk about, which is mental health and identity and how that's all caught up with our hair. And it just made me think when I was I was like on the school run, sort of thinking in my head about everything. And I was like, how we feel about our hair is massively connected to how we feel about ourselves. And I'd never realised it till I started doing this podcast. Yeah, Heffy, absolutely. I mean, Heffy, you've, you obviously identify with changing your hair colour. It's helped you through postnatal depression. Talk to us about your hair journey. Well, I mean, I think for me, like I started colouring my hair when I was at high school. I was always kind of like the emo kid, um, wanted Mm -hmm. to be different to everybody else. And as soon as I was old enough to be allowed to have my hair done, that is exactly what I did. And I found it as another way to express myself. Kind of from there, I've just been constantly experimenting. Um, And even 15 years later, I'm still experimenting and trying different things. But also I am lucky enough to now have my own salon. So I get to do it with other people too now, which is really cool. Amazing. (laughs) So how old were you when you first coloured your hair then? Um, so it was on my 14th birthday, I believe. 
I had it all like really black and blonde, like proper big, like chunky, proper 90s, noughties. Oh yeah, it's all come back around now, right? But I had the proper like big streaks through my hair and used to backcomb it really big and put big bows in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just, I absolutely loved it. And it was kind of, it was like a once a yearly thing that my parents could like afford for me to go to a salon and get it done. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take me too long to start playing around with it myself. Mm-hmm. Of course, <laughs> but I think yeah. that's where I really, you know, I really found my passion and my love because I could just sit there for hours and just be putting different things on my hair and figuring out how things worked and creating new things. And like I said, it's just from a very young age, you know, like over my half of my life now, it's been a big part of my identity and, and who I am. And, you know, that's kind of what people will know me for as well. And which moves me seamlessly onto Terry, because ever since I've known you, Terry, which is what, it must be a decade plus, it might even be Mm. kicking two, you were always the really cool girl with the retro wardrobe and the big beehive. When did you start that? Well, so what, I'm 42 now, and Mm. I kind of started with like a mini fairly sane beehive when Mm -hmm. I was in my late 20s, I think 28, 29, 30. So I I had it for about a decade in total. And it's so funny because I sit here feeling like an imposter because I have at the moment the most square hair of my entire life. But once the beehive went, it kind of, it's all gone quite normal. But for that 10 year period, I was, as I'm sure you remember, incredibly committed to that hair. I, I'm sure I remember asking you on occasion to please teach me how you did it. I used to often wonder, because it was it was peroxide blonde for a lot of that as well. Did you wreck it? Because mm. there's a lot of backcombing involved oh, with that. I totally fucked it. Like, absolutely, <laughs> like, destroyed it. Which was a combination of the bleach, which I used to do at home by myself. Heffy is literally going to have a heart attack oh over there. Oh, my God, she's going to be like, honestly, her bum is already clenching. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go to Sally's on um, Shaftesbury Avenue. Oh, I love Just Sally's kind of on Shaftesbury Avenue. It was my Honestly, Use Google to work out what I should buy, which was inevitably wrong. Not really understand what I was doing and then break my hair. Mm. Um, and between that and the backcombing, but here's the thing is, the backcombing was quite limited because I didn't have a traditional beehive all with my own hair backcombed. Mm-hmm. I had what I now call a beehive construction. Mm-hmm. And what that was, was a semicircle of foam that I bought from Boots, an ex-boyfriend's sock, which I folded over four times, and I pinned the, the piece of foam, I pinned the sock over that, then I had clipping hair extensions, which I backcombed and put over that and clipped into my hair. Mm. Then I backcombed my actual real hair and used that just as the top layer. So 95% of the beehive wasn't me. But why a beehive? Was it because it suited you? Was it in homage to somebody? I've never asked you this. I'm genuinely really interested to know. Firstly, I got really into the music, like girl group music, Phil mm-hmm. Spector, Wall of Sound. Uh-huh. Um, so I was very into Ronnie Spector, the Supremes, the Shangri-Las. Mm-hmm. So 60s music. And I was very much into that kind of from a style perspective. And you know what? I just found it was really distinctive because it mm-hmm. was kind of before the whole Amy Winehouse period. Yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of worked for me and it, it you know, in many respects, I felt like an entirely different person when I was wearing it. And, you know, I would never allow myself to be seen without it. I wouldn't go to the corner shop 
without it on my head. Like really? it, we were Not- never apart, apart from when I slept. Although sometimes I slept in it because, you know, I just didn't see any point in <laughs> taking it out. And it did, what's, what's interesting, and I wrote a little bit about this in in my memoir is the way my hair kind of grew and shrank and morphed and changed was very much linked to my mental health at the time. And when I became incredibly unwell, my hair, I don't know if you remember, was actually giant. Yeah, and I did, Super yes. erect, vertical, yeah. basically, like mm-hmm. absolutely vertical. And it was, you could track actually my illness along with kind of how extreme my hair was at the, the time. The higher the hair was, the lower your mood was. It's bizarre, yes, pretty isn't much. It? And I think mm. actually, not because obviously you're a completely different beast, but, but Amy Winehouse, because you mentioned her, was actually quite similar. Her do got bigger as she deteriorated. Mm. It's, I mean, I, it's amazing how hair is such an armour. I mean, Heffy, you've been very public about your struggles with postnatal depression. Did you use colour as an armour when that was happening? Yeah. The thing that's really crazy is like, I'm kind of sitting here and I'm just thinking, wow, because I did the same sort of thing. Mm. I think that... For me, like, I've always liked to have my hair, some sort of blonde in it, and usually some sort of pink going on mm. as well. But it was when I first started to become a mom with my son that I started to, um, I like to overcompensate. Mm-hmm. So I know that, like, I started to go more vivid, more adventurous, like, 10 colours instead of two. Like, maybe it's, like, a way of kind of kind of masking what's going on, kind of have some other kind of feature, something else mm-hmm. to kind of hide behind. I've found when I've been depressed, I used to get apathetic about the way I looked. So that's how you knew that I was feeling really low. So the fact that you girls sort of stepped it up a gear is, I find really interesting because when you're feeling that sad, you still put yourselves together aesthetically. Yeah, but that I, I found, and I don't know about you, Heffy, but I found the kind of construction, the external construction of how I looked became a really important part of masking what was going on to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So I had a big job in New York at the time. You know, I, I was editor of a magazine in New York. I had a big staff and I was very concerned with nobody knowing how ill I was becoming. And so, you know, every morning I would do the same ritual with makeup and with hair and every kind of bit I built was essentially me building an external persona almost that would Mm. kind of essentially throw everybody off the scent but also kind of conversely like Heffy was saying there's a sense that you disappear the more visible you become you disappear at the same Mm -hmm. time as a kind of who you really are Mm -hmm. recedes even further away and you think actually becoming more visible would make it more obvious but I found pretty much the exact opposite happened. Would you agree with that Heffy yeah? Absolutely. I think like I would probably even like use the terms like coping mechanism as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know for me, yeah. like um, I can relate in somewhat with being a salon owner and, you know, having like my team like working and having almost like a persona at work. I was at one point I was hospitalized. I was in a mother and baby unit when I was pregnant mm-hmm. and they would let me out for the day and I'd go to work. I'd literally like, you know, be, I think being high functioning is another thing. Like when you are high functioning and you've got a mental illness, you know, I was so, so, so poorly. I was carrying a baby that I didn't believe was, you know, at one point I didn't believe I was pregnant. I didn't believe it was my baby. I was having some real issues, but I could still put my face on. I could still go to work and I could still put on this almost like a mask. And I do think like Terry was saying that all these little things that we do is almost putting this mask on and kind of gearing ourselves mm-hmm. up to be who we have to be 
to the mm. outside world in these situations and I think that none of my clients would have ever guessed where I was going after work where I was spending the night like no. not not a chance this was kind of before I'd really I was okay with it like I, now I'm okay with it like I know if I'm having a bad day and I want to come to work with no makeup on I'll say to my clients I'm having the big sad today you know but back then like it wasn't an option mm-hmm. and mm. I think that when it's yeah. not an option you've just you, you always try 10 times harder to like look like you're more confident before I had a real understanding of my illness and before I accepted it and I was like you know what I'm gonna own this shit like this is this is part of me this is who I am and I'm gonna own that shit I was still Mm. kind of trying to run from it and I was still struggling to accept it and I feel like I was trying to do more and more like at work I was probably coming across um you know I I can kind of fake confidence quite easily um Mm -hmm. and when I'm feeling the most insecure I'm the most like hello how are you oh my god when I'm feeling like at my lowest I can kind of put that on thicker and I feel like having the bright hair, putting the makeup on, going for the wacky outfit, going into work and being able to kind of put on this persona. I didn't have to think about the intrusive thoughts. I didn't have to think about the issues I was having. I could, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even have lunch breaks because I meant I had to stop. You know, I could put on my, I guess, like boss bitch kind of mask and and, and be what I needed to be at that time to Mm -hmm. not have to deal with my illness. Actually, Terry has said that, you know, tell me if, if I'm using the wrong words, Terry, but you, you almost felt like you were building a battle armour through the beehive. Completely. It separates you and the reality of what's happening with you, with the outside world. And I'm relating to so much of what you say, Heffy, because my job at that point, I was probably the most successful I've ever been in my life. And I put all of my energy and all of my focus into overachieving at work so I wouldn't have to look at what an absolute car crash everything outside of it was and you know those two things can coexist and they did coexist for me I think people assume if you're going through serious mental illness that everything falls apart that you know Mm -hmm. you can't turn up for work that you can't get out of bed and and obviously that happens for some people but That didn't always happen for me. And when I was in the psychiatric ward in New York, the only thing they let me keep was my uh, clothes, my shoes, and they allowed me to keep the hair. And there was a moment when I was being admitted to the psychiatric ward where the nurse was kind of debating whether to let me keep the hair because of the um, grips that I was using to pin them in. Mm -hmm. And he was concerned I was gonna be able to hurt myself with the grips. And I had to basically beg him to leave me the hair because it just was inconceivable to me that I could exist in there, which was already the scariest place on earth without the hair. It became like the focus. And every morning when I woke up, even though, you know, all we were doing that day was group therapy or art therapy or AA meetings or whatever it would end up being, Mm -hmm. I needed that initial routine in the morning of clipping my hair and putting it on and to even be able to, you know, get up every day and function and exist in there. Mm -hmm. And it became kind of the biggest part of my routine when I was in the psychiatric ward was actually putting that hair on every morning. And I probably was most scared about that being taken away as pretty much anything else when I was in there. Isn't it funny? I think those little um, routines become super, super important. Just those little things when you're really ill. Heffy, when you were ill, was it, so you both were, I mean, I don't know whether it's even a PC thing to say, is, but sections or put somewhere for your own safety. Would that be right? I was put on a psych hold, is what right. they call it in, in America. It's called a psychiatric hold. Mm-hmm. So I went in voluntary, but I know that if it wasn't, if it didn't go voluntary, then 
I would have had to go in anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's essentially the same. And Heffy, so you were. I, I want to ask because I thought that it was postnatal depression, but that's not right, is it? So, was it, right, was, so did I. Um, so it was really hectic because I was diagnosed with something that I didn't know existed. I'd never heard of prenatal depression before. And it was really crazy because like at the time, the things that were happening to me, like I didn't think that they were wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would have things such as the baby kicking and I would be like, no, it's not, it's not happening. Like you could see my body changing. You could see the baby kicking. Like in my head, it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And it was just really confusing because I was like, no, I'm right. And the doctors are telling me things. And I'm like, no, that's not right. And I genuinely could not see that I was unwell. I thought mm-hmm. everything that I was feeling was was rational and was normal. So it was so difficult. You know, when we kind of started to, well, he's more my husband. He's absolutely incredible. You know, he really pushed for me to get support and some help. And my mom was really helpful as well. Um, but, you know, next thing I know, like I'm, I'm having intrusive thoughts. I'm hearing things. I'm so confused about everything. Did this stem from anywhere? Did it come from, or was it, did it literally steamroller in along with all the hormones? And we've all, all three of us are mums, so we all know how devastating hormones can be. So with my first pregnancy, um, I had a miscarriage two months before um, I got pregnant again. So Mm -hmm. a good chunk of it was from that, but um, on my second pregnancy, it was so much worse. And the doctors have said that it's just hormonal. but I'm currently going through the process of an ADHD diagnosis as well, um, which right. I know can be quite common for women with that sort of thing to struggle more in pregnancy as well. So I think I'll never really know like why it happened. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's, there was obviously some sort of trauma there around the miscarriage, but I think in general, mm-hmm. you know, they're saying that it is more of like a hormonal, a hormonal change. I mean, with my son, it was quite gradual up to the point where I hit crisis point. But with my daughter, I woke up at about four months pregnant and it was like a light had been switched off. And I just, mm. I didn't feel like, it was like my brain had took me to hell. Like I didn't feel happy at all. Like every day was just like, I know it sounds, it's so difficult to explain, but like I was in agony, like inside I was in agony every single day for no reason. It was just No, it's, it so makes intense. absolute sense. Uh, Terry, was there a particular trigger for you, do you think? Or do you think you were, I mean, has anybody ever been able to explain it to you or have you ever been able to quantify it yourself or not? Or is it just one one of those things? Well, I think in my case, and, and you never know, right, what what mm. is, I suppose, in your genes, what gets passed on from family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then what's due to circumstance and trauma. So I, I was very unwell ever since being a child. You know, there was something in inverted commas wrong with me I felt ever since I could remember really Mm -hmm. but I was sexually abused when I was five years old and most of my childhood was you know spent in violence and chaos and um, there was lots of physical and sexual violence in our house growing up and really for me I can draw a straight line there is there is depression in my family Mm -hmm. to a very large extent but I can as I get older draw an absolute straight line from what happened to me as a child to then what happened to me as a woman Mm. and you know maybe I'd have still had some kind of mental illness if that hadn't have happened but for me it's all bound up in that and I've had different diagnoses over the years depression major depression anxiety substance induced mood disorder um borderline personality disorder bipolar I still personally don't feel like I've got a resolution or a sense of, 
you know, what is, for want of a better phrase, what is wrong with me and how we fix it. But you've been through so much trauma. I don't think, I don't think you have to fix yourself. I think you have to look after yourself. Yeah, so, and I think, you know, what, where I've arrived at in the last few years is when you've experienced trauma like that, you are never, ever, and I used to want to get over it and need to get over it. I was like, as soon as I can get over it, everything's going to be golden. We're all mm. going to be good. I'll be sorted at that point and I'll be fixed. And then I think what I had to accept gradually over a period of years was you don't get over those things. What you do is you learn to live with them. Mm -hmm. You learn to live alongside them. You make healthier choices. You don't put yourself in certain positions. I was, you know, abusing pills and alcohol and I was making bad decisions that were fundamentally making me more ill. And so as I've kind of got older, I've, I've tried to look after myself much better, make much more positive choices, surround myself with better people. I know what my triggers are now. I know what to avoid. I self-harmed for years and I've kind of got now a strategy about how to make sure I don't do that. And I think, you know, it's become less important to me to have a diagnosis that I can be comfortable with because mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'll ever fully unpick it and as I say a, a very large part of me thinks there's a straight line from that trauma to kind of where I've ended up and all mm -hmm. I can do is try and make sure that the rest of my life is as happy and healthy as is possible really. And uh, just to bring it almost full circle uh, the, the hair is probably a lot healthier too. Now it's not being like, shoved up in a beehive all the time, right? The hair, the hair is is like the healthiest it's ever been. Um, my hair, my hair has been. I mean, oh my god, I could tell you some stories about my hair. We have been through so much together, me and my head and my hair. And what I enjoy now about my hair is it's pretty much chaos free. There's no more burning my own scalp off. There's no ripping my own extensions out yeah. at three in the morning. There's no more cutting myself a mad, mad, mad fringe, which is literally, you know, two inches different lengths everywhere. But there are benefits now to having sane hair, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, Heffy, I have to say, the condition of your hair looks amazing. How do you keep it set? Like, because you're... You, you're abusive. You're abusive to that hair in a very good way. <laughs> well, you know what? Like products have just come on really far. I think that, you know, now, I mean, I have my roots done every three weeks. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that nowadays, like the things that like as a professional that we can use are better than they've ever been. And I think that the connection to having bleached hair and damaged hair is, is definitely not there as much anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got like, I really like like Brazilian bomb builds that we can put in our lightener and that prevents damage. Everything's just quite a lot more advanced than it used to be. We can use mm -hmm. like a weaker peroxide and still get a really good result. Whereas before we'd have to go with all guns blazing. I think because bleaching is obviously it's a much more of a popular service nowadays. Like in my salon, we mainly do bleaching. So my girls are like the absolute pros at it. The technology and just the ability in general of a lot mm -hmm. of hairdressers is, is much better because we're doing these services much more often than we used to. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of you, I don't know, Heffy, how old's your little boy? So my big one is three and my little one is two next month. But have either of you found that you've noticed a lot of changes with your hair hormonally? Because how old's Emlyn, Terry? He's 21 months. When did you retire the beehive? Was it before you had him, before you got pregnant? Well, so I've actually retired my beehive. It was again linked to something in my life. So it mm. was probably about five years ago. And I'd come back from New York 
And I'd moved home basically so I could be well and be happy and Mm -hmm. kind of remove myself from what I thought was an environment I couldn't be happy in. And when I came home, my mum, who I have an estranged relationship with, became very ill and was in intensive care. um, And they thought she was going to die at that point. And something about the situation and kind of revisiting a lot of stuff from when I was young and, and feeling like a little girl again and like her daughter, I just decided to get rid of it and to cut all my hair off. It was like, literally, I decided overnight. And I kept the beehive for ages. I don't know why. I was like, really didn't want to throw it away. Mm -hmm. It was like this symbol. And by that point, honestly, it was so ratty. But I kept it for ages. It was like this symbol. And I was like, people kept saying, you should bury it in the ground. You should go out and bury it somewhere. (laughs) And and in the end, I just threw it away. But for me, there's always a symbolism. And there's a symbolism for me in deciding to cut it off and, and to you know, maybe stop hiding, actually, and, Mm. you know, face the world without it and without the armour. But, yeah, I haven't had it since then. And actually, when I was pregnant, my hair was probably in better natural condition than it had ever been. Why do you two think that so much of our identity and the way we feel about ourselves is caught up in our hair? Because I'm actually going to be speaking to two wonderful women that lost their hair due to alopecia in just a little while. And I've been trying to think about how I would feel if I if I lost all my hair overnight. And I mean, I actually think even women particularly feel more precious about their hair than they perhaps do about their bodies. Would you agree with that? Historically, if you think about it, it's it's caught up in femininity and with kind of physical allure and and the opposite sex. And if you think about some of the figures from history with their long flowing hair and, and what that kind of suggests. And I think there's a sense of I always felt certainly I could never grow my hair long. My hair was always would grow to my shoulders and then stop. It would never be flowing. I would look Mm. at girls with beautiful flowing hair and want to rip it out of their head and stick it on my own head. Mm -hmm. And I always felt rightly or wrongly less feminine and less attractive than those women. And I think there's something about when I get and it's silly, but when I get those hair extensions, I feel more confident. And maybe I think, God, am I just kind of falling in line with patriarchal ideas of feminine beauty that I've been around for centuries? Maybe I am. But there is something in me that that definitely feels just more attractive, maybe, which I hate saying out loud, yeah, but no, I think I, know, I do. I think we should own it. I think we're allowed... It's like, it's not... Because I have Botox and I have a tiny bit of lip filler sometimes as well. And obviously I get my hair done. And I and I make sure I own it on Instagram because I don't, I don't want to be ashamed of the fact that I want to feel nice. Uh, but Heffy, you must have women come in feeling really shit about themselves and walk out feeling like a million dollars because you sorted out their barnets. Yeah, it's my favourite thing, my absolute favourite thing about my job, you know, like, to me, the connection between hairdressing and mental health is really important to the point where we've got Mm -hmm. a mental health policy in the salon, you know, that I've put on. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got, you know, we like, we're pro-breastfeeding, like, we encourage our clients that have just had babies to come in, like, my girls help babysit the babies when they're getting their hair done. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, and, you know, I think for for me, like, it's really important that people feel, like, they're safe with me, and in my salon, you know, I get people that have seen my mental health posts that come and see me that haven't been to the hairdressers in years because of that anxiety around it. So I'm really passionate about creating somewhere that people could just feel safe and feel nice and relaxed. And it's another reason why, you know, like as a salon, we really push the message 
and um, we've got posters in the salon you know I've got one that says um I think one of my customers actually gave it me and it's like a little, little ant and it's like it's okay to be on the medication you know and all, all these different things that we've got in just kind of gently remind people while they're here like it's okay if you're having a, bit of a bad time and yeah just to be able to transform the way that people feel because it really has got such a big impact I think not just doing the hair but the whole experience I've had girls come in and they're crying on entry because they're so anxious about coming into a hair salon and being able to kind of look after that person for three hours and raise their self-esteem and raise them up and have a nice time with them and make them feel like they've achieved something by coming out but at the same time making them feel nice and again like helping with their identity like another thing it's why I you know like we're so welcoming to new moms as well because when you've just had a baby and you're like who the hell am I you know I love to be able to give someone that that back and that part of them back it is my favourite, that my absolute favourite thing. Like just seeing his face in the mirror after is my favourite thing about. I doing think this job. that is so wonderful, <laughs> and I think that's really quite unique that you're creating a safe, almost a safe space. It's really important for, to me really, for people really important who were struggling to, to be able to come because, and I also think that if you know if you are being upfront, and both of you have been so marvellously upfront about your your struggles with your mental health, it's almost uh, people identify with it. They feel safe. It's it's a little bit like. So it's I don't want to say safety in numbers, but you just I always feel I can't get on with people who don't overshare. When I meet people <laughs> who are, do you know what I mean, though, yeah. Terry? Like I can't, I if I meet somebody and they're a little bit private or guarded, I'm like they're probably lovely, but that's not my person. You're not my people. Let me tell you about this thing that happened when I was eight. Yes, pulled out a list of I, paper. I was just going to say the the other thing that I think is really important, and I've only realised this since having. A kid, I was always busy before, right? But having a kid, in my experience, is just like an entirely different level of you literally never have time for yourself. So I've yeah. I've never had so little time just for myself in my entire life. And it was mm-hmm. a bit of a shock getting to 41, having a baby and suddenly the time just gets taken from you because you've had a child and, and that's now your job, right? Along with your partner. And I think it's one of the very few, just speaking for myself, it's one of the very few times I go somewhere and I do something just for me Mm. that isn't about anybody else. And for that two hours that I sit in that chair, and it's much more than just somebody sticking somebody else's hair in my head. It becomes a little window that I really look forward to. And I'm not going to say self-care, but I am going to say like, just time for yourself. That's only about you. Yeah, I feel the same about long-haul flights. Oh, I love a long-haul oh, flight. Oh, you see? Put the terrible oh. movie on, get a glass of wine, have a lie down. Terry, I haven't read Coming Undone, partly because because I know you and because I think you're wonderful. I don't... I, I think I'm going to... Re- it's going to be a hard read, but... I think it's wonderful that you've done it. That's the first thing to say. And and I am going to read it because that honours you and your past and everything that you've come through. So Coming Undone, hopefully being developed for television, which is absolutely epic. I've got loads of old diaries in my loft. And, you know, I had a very blessed, like, even even my 20s and 30s in Britpop, there's a bit of trauma in there somewhere. Of course there is, but it's it's nothing on the scale of coming undone. And I find them difficult to read. And I, as I said, I know I will find your book difficult to read. I can't imagine how it must have felt to write it. Were you just triggered by everything you were talking about? It was tricky and people always say, you know, was it cathartic actually? Was it helpful? 
and it it wasn't for a really mm. long time it genuinely was just really painful so i originally was writing a book about new york and about being in the psych ward and all of that and then as i was writing it all of the stuff about my childhood kind of demanded to be written i kept being pulled to writing this other stuff and it ended up becoming this book of two halves which was how did I end up in a psychiatric ward in New York and and painting this picture of my childhood? But then it was incredibly painful to write. I had to write it in controlled bursts because otherwise it was quite overwhelming. I had to really take care of my mental health at that period because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't involve anyone in it. I didn't show anyone versions of it. I used to go up to the spare room and just write, but then I'd go to the pub with my boyfriend afterwards or I'd go and meet a mate at the pictures or... So I I kind of knew by that point how to have a better handle on my mental health. And then, it you know, it was when it came out and I was doing all the press and stuff, that was very tricky. But actually, not very long after it came out, I just felt a great sense of relief, really, that I wasn't carrying around this, you know, huge sack full of secrets, which is how it felt for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I just find it amazing. Like I said, I'm, I will, I, I shall come off of this record, and I promise I will order it. And thank and, you. But I just, you know, I care about you. I don't. It's, you know, it's horrible to think that anybody's gone through that sort of stuff, even a stranger, let alone somebody you know. Mm. Heffy, what's next for you? Obviously, you've got the salon tattoo parlor in one, haven't yes. you? Which is yes, me and my epic. husband have. Yes, that's been going really well. So when we first started out, I literally had like thirty pound. And I used to do mobile at first. So like I drive to someone's house, like I, I remember driving to the wholesalers and buying a tube of colour and then going to someone's house. And then with the money I got going and buying the tube of colour for my next customer. So it does feel really hectic that we've got, you know, we've got eight tattoo artists here and eight hairdressers as well. It's been really cool. Um, I think my long-term goal is I'd really love to create some sort of college, like an academy and be able to train like young girls up or boys or whoever wants to do it. I think when the children are a little bit older, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, Terry, what's going on with you at the moment? Well, I just started a column for the Sunday Times and one for the big issue. And then, yes, hopefully more news on the TV adaptation very soon. And if that happens, will you work very closely alongside them? Okay, Because that's yes. your baby and you want it done properly, yeah. don't you? Ladies, thank you so much. I just... I think that women specifically, because obviously I'm all about the girls, there's something so incredible about women who have come through, you know, breakdowns or poor mental health and, and are survivors and out the other side with a wonderful, uplifting, optimistic future to share. And I just think, and also I just think the more we share, the more we normalise it, the more out of the cupboard and out of the shadows we can bring these things. And I think that's really important. So thank you so much for sharing your vulnerability ultimately because it's really, really important. But also tell us where we can find you. I'm on Twitter at Terry underscore White and on Instagram at Terry L White. So my Instagram is at HeffyX. So I mainly, I do loads of postnatal depression stuff on there. Like I've just done like a big question and answers and I do loads of stories about like, I mainly use that platform for like talking about a little bit about hair, but mainly about like, you know, like the my mental health and family stuff. Yeah. And then my TikTok, which is pretty much just hair, that is heffy.w. Brilliant. That sounds amazing. And, and um, I'm going to be sure to go and check that. I think it's really important to keep the um, postnatal um, and prenatal depression uh, yeah. like, conversation going as well. Because like you say, everybody thinks it's such a happy time. And, uh, and it's actually really fucking hard. 
Thank you very much, ladies, for being such wonderful guests Thank on the you. Big Hairy Podcast. Thank you. The Beauty Works is passionate about self-care. That's why their motto is love the skin you live in. Nobody's perfect and that's okay, but being the best version of you is a goal worth aiming for and there's nothing more important than taking some precious time just for yourself. Whether you're indulging in a luxurious hair mask, treating yourself to an extra long shower with their vitamin-infused shampoos and conditioners, or splashing out on a new skincare range, The Beauty Works is here for you. And their hair, skin and cosmetics products are made for all skin and hair types, using quality, ethically sourced ingredients to look after your health and the planet. Join The Beauty Works revolution by visiting thebeautyworks.co.uk or follow them on Instagram at The Beauty Works. That's The Beauty Works with an X. Welcome, Taz and Julianne. How are you? Awesome, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. Are you all right, Julianne? Yes, I'm amazing and really excited. I know, I'm so excited to talk to you both because I think my comfortable place is talking about hair and identity because I've been on that very journey myself. But I want to talk to you two mainly. No one wants to hear about me. We want to hear about you. So we've got Taz with your pink hair. It's so funny when I saw, because Taz and I have met before. As soon as I saw you, I knew exactly who you were, what you did. Do you know what I mean? It's, and it is all about the pink hair. Now, I know that you're listening to a podcast. I urge you now to go and find Taz and Julianne on the social media of love. Taz has bright pink hair. Cerise, really, isn't it? Whereas mine is a more muted pastel. And Julianne has the most beautiful... It's waist length, is it? Is it down there? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty low. It's pretty long today. It's gorgeous. It's long today. Is it not long on other days? <laughs> no, no, actually, it is always long since I was a child and got it taken away from me. So I've always what had it Oh, long. hang on. Right. Hold up. Let's rewind right there and get into that. What happened? That sounds actually quite horrific. <laughs> it was quite a traumatic experience for me. When I was, I must have been about 11 and my mum decided to leave me at the hairdressers. My hair was, bear in mind, lower than my bum at that point. I was wearing plaits and she was like, right, I want it this short. And she left me at the hairdressers. For me, it's my like comfort blanket. It's your identity. Yes, exactly. Very much caught up with who you are. And you are Julianne with the long, dark brown hair. And can I just, I mean, this is a bit of a tricky question. We've only just started and I feel like I'm doing a proper deep dive. But did you ever forget? I would find it quite hard to forgive my mum for doing that. I didn't want to go to school. I did find it really, really difficult. But she she was really sorry afterwards. I don't think she would ever do something like that again. And it never happened with my sister. So I think it was a mistake. And as a mum myself of a little girl who's a very determined little girl who's eight, because Autumn and I have often had rows about her hair and she's got really, really long hair. And she said the other day that she wants it cut up to like a long bob. But I know she would regret it. So actually, I won't let her do it until she's a lot older. But there was a time when I could quite easily have done exactly what your mum did out of sheer exasperation with her. And, you know, just yeah. go, right, it's going because I'm the one who's having to look after it, not you. But she is older now and she can actually wash it herself and she knows to comb the conditioner through and what have you. So she's getting a bit more independent with her hair. But she feels, even at the age of eight, very much wow. that her long hair is her identity. Isn't that funny? Taz, the pink. When was the pink born? 
Oh, I forget how many years ago now, and it's now so much part of my brand that even if I suddenly decided I hated it overnight, it'd have to stay, and I don't think I ever will. The funny thing is that most people think it was a deliberate act of tying everything into my brand, because my brand colours are pink and purple. What actually happened is I was sitting with my hairdresser one day, who I've been with for years, and I just said, I'm really bored. I'm naturally blonde. I've got kind of a blonde, shaggy bob at the time. And I Mm. said, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. And she said, I fancy doing it baby pink all over. And I went, go on then. And that's what happened. There was no big plan behind it. It was a real spur of the moment. Go on, chop it all off and make it pink. And it's gradually got pinker and pinker and pinker. Although Mm. toward the end of the cycle, before I go back to the hairdressers again, it's more like your kind of pink. Do you have pink towels? Because if one is going to colour one's hair that dramatically, you really have to have towels that don't show it up, don't you? Because they will shed. Yeah, I think my favourite part is if I swill it off in the bath and then I get out of a very, very giant pink bath. That's always good fun. (laughs) It's funny, actually, because crazy colour, essentially, which is what we've used on our hair, is now so much better than it was. How long has it been pink? Is it 20 years? Longer? Oh, not 20. It's probably... Let me think. I left corporate in 2010, so probably since about 2011, 2012, something like right. that, I think. So a good decade. And have yeah. you noticed how much better hair colouring products are? Because I have. I've noticed how many more people are suddenly going pink. I'm like, get off my hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're a, it's a fantastic ad for how successful it is. It is indeed. <laughs> it is. So you both talk very positively about your hair. Has it ever not been positive? Is it only ever a positive force within your lives, Julianne? My hair's actually naturally quite curly. You won't tell because I straighten it every single day, pretty much. And recently I've actually felt that I don't need to straighten it as much, which Mm -hmm. to start with, my hair was my identity and I needed it as straight as it possibly could be to be as professional as possible and it was needed. However, it it takes a long time to straighten and I'm sure Taz, it takes a long time to have to dye it all the time, that amazing colour. And sometimes it's sort of difficult to have to keep that up. But at the same time, it's weighing up how confident you want to feel and all of that as well. I bet you, Julianne, you look absolutely beautiful either way. So wearing your hair curly now, is that more because you're an entrepreneur, you're a busy lady with a very successful company, which we'll talk about in a bit. Is it because you don't have the time or is it because actually you're kind of okay with the curl now? Yes, I think it's that I've managed to realise that it does look good or Mm. I don't need it straight to feel that confident. And that's where my outlook's changed. My other half has also helped me a lot with that. He constantly goes, okay, so what is the difference? You look amazing with both hair. So Mm. I don't understand why you need to be nervous on stage when speaking with curly hair, whereas you boss it with straight hair. Because like, you just mm. need to slowly get over it. And, and eventually I have started to. And, and he pushed me in the deep end. And he was like, no, you're not going to straighten your hair. That's it. Let's just give it a go. Go on stage with your hair curly. It didn't change I, a thing. And I, I was just was about thing. to say, did you feel that you'd go on stage and people would be like, who's that? Was that, was <laughs> that I thought people you know? wouldn't listen. <laughs> yes. Really? But actually, it is very serious that our identity can be so caught up with our hair. And Taz, I mean, you say that now you're very branded with it. Has there ever been a time you haven't been happy that you made the decision to have short, bright pink hair? Not that I haven't been happy with my decision. 
I've had a couple of negatives. So I remember way back in the early days, people saying that I'd never be able to be taken seriously in business with it. I'd never get speaking gigs with it. I'd never work with corporate with it. Well, hello, I'll just prove you wrong then. Thank you very much. Yeah. And my favourite one, which I've actually had from a, a couple of coaches who perhaps have not quite built their businesses to the same level that I have, mm. have said things like, well, you're only successful because you've got pink hair. Really? Did but anybody tell abs- David Bowie it was only successful because of his eyes? Really? Yeah, no, that's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. I had probably coming yeah. from a place of jealousy, I would imagine. I have to say, though, I am very drawn to both of you for very different reasons. I Thank mean, you. Julianne, it is so very long. Is it a bit of a nightmare to look after or is it, have you got a way? Have you got your routine locked down? Mine's a nightmare. I have to shove it in a mum bun unless I style it. It just looks shit otherwise. I bet it doesn't. I bet it looks good. Um, Yeah, I guess there is a routine that I have and that's with everything in life. I have a routine of like Zumba in the mornings and that get up and go anyway as an entrepreneur and I think that's really needed. So no, I don't find it difficult in the sense I've got to stick to that routine. I I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I love doing things with my hair. That's why I could never have Taz's hair because I would get bored. I'd be like, right, well, I want to put it up have it down, curl it, straighten it, have a fringe, all the rest of it. Do you do anything with your hair or are you one of those long-haired ladies that just lets the hair roam? I don't do anything apart from straighten it. That's it pretty much. Because I have allergies, I can't actually put a lot of things into my hair. This is the major problem. I've always wanted to dye my hair blonde, but Mm, everyone's always told me no. And also for allergy reasons, I've Mm -hmm. never really been able to. Well, I think hair your length, I think, I mean, I don't know how Kim Kardashian manages it. She seems to be able to go from black to white blonde overnight. When she did that, I wondered if it was a wig. Apparently it wasn't a wig and she only kept it for about a week and then went back to her the black. And I was like, why isn't her hair falling out? You know, I mean, I don't know whether it's just fantastic hairdressing or I think Olaplex was at play. But with your beautiful long hair, I would worry that actually you would sacrifice the condition to get it to be blonde, wouldn't you? Exactly. And that's the worry. Do I really want to go through all of that? And then what happens if I want to change it and go back? I was just speaking with some guests on an earlier podcast and we were talking about how much hair is in direct correlation with how you feel. I won't say mental health because I don't think that having poor mental health is a lot to do with your hair, but certainly you having a good hair day can really lift it and having a bad hair day or having a bad haircut have you ever had an experience where you've been like I'm properly miserable about what's happened to my hair absolutely and I'll go back a few years and my hairdresser still ribs me about it today these little bits at the back here you can just see for the sake of you listening if you look behind my ears you can just see a little bit of hair and one Mm. day she cut those bits off and honestly I felt like a pinhead I cried and I didn't leave the house till these little bits grew back such a bonkers thing I can look back at the pictures now and it looked fine but at the time, oh! Did you cry? Crazy. I did. did. You cry? I actually yeah. physically cried. I did. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely cried about things that have happened to my hair before. It's horrible. I did Celebrity Scissor Hands, Julianne, a few years ago, which is when they used to get a bunch of celebrities and teach them how to cut hair. I did the first series for Children in Need. But I was so terrified about butchering someone's hair and they had to sign away their hair and just say, I don't care what's going to happen to it. You know, I'm just going to let this celebrity loose on it. And I know that we did have some people that came in, got butchered by a celebrity and then went away and cried. And it was just the pressure. It was awful. 
I can't. It's so I can't bonkers, think. though, isn't it? It's like you think, well, why? What's that got to do with anything? And you're right, we can't put all of our mental health onto our hair. Mm. But if we're already not feeling in the best place, and if I go back to that time, I wasn't emotionally feeling in the best mm-hmm. place. I'd been in mm-hmm. and out of depression for years, and I was going through a difficult time. And that mm. tiny one little thing was just enough to dent my confidence. So no, mm. mental health doesn't come from our hair. But when our hair can help us to just feel that we're stepping into our power, we're rocking it, we know who we are and we can kind mm. of walk in that, that sense of ownership and identity, then that really can make a difference. It shouldn't on paper, but it does. Yeah. Fragile little yeah. things, aren't we? I mean, Julianne, how do you think you would cope if you lost your hair overnight? Because I've often thought about how I would cope whether it be through treatment for an illness or whether it would be alopecia. And I think I would spiral into a really dark place. Yes, well, I did lose a lot of my hair when I was younger because I was very, very ill. Oh, wow. I was in hospital for around a year. Goodness. And, yeah, I don't really talk about it, to be completely honest. So it was a very tough time for me. I went down the homeopathic remedies mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because nothing was really working to help. My hair had gone so thin as well and it was just falling and falling due to medications and various other things. Yeah. It was really tough for me and I didn't want to go out anywhere. I didn't want to no. see anyone. I didn't even want to see family. It got mm. to that point. And like how Taz was saying, it's not the hair that causes the mental health. But it's everything that's going on and then that adds to it. And that if that's your comfort blanket, mm. that being ripped away from you just makes everything 10 times worse. So yeah. it's like, where do you go? Who do you talk to? And you don't really have anyone that you can talk to about it because they think you're saying something completely ridiculous that, oh, I've lost some of my hair. That's why I'm upset. But it's trying to convey it's, that message yeah. that it's not just the hair. That's like invalidating the way someone's feeling. You can't do that. And thank you for sharing that with us because if you're uncomfortable talking about it, then that's really huge and I really appreciate it. But it's no wonder now that you are so particular about your hair, I guess. I'd say it's probably less of a comfort blanket now for you and more of just a, I got it back. I ain't losing it again. Do you know what I mean? It's staying here. The long hair is locked in. But tell us a little bit because when the two girls um, logged on earlier, I was like, hang on a minute. CEO of Creative Nature. This is Julianne. I was like, I saw you in a magazine last month. And she was like, yeah, I did a shoot. So Julianne, tell us about Creative Nature and its birth because it sounds absolutely fabulous and it makes me hungry. (laughs) So yeah, Creative Nature, I guess, is my baby. It's my Mm -hmm. everything. I started it end of 2012. In terms of what we do, I suffer from anaphylaxis. So if you even shook my hand and had touched nuts before or sesame, I would stop breathing and uh, I could die. So I developed uh, snack bars. I developed superfoods and also baking mixes, a banana bread mix as well. Obviously over lockdown, Mm -hmm. that went crazy. It's just so that everyone can eat around the same table and feel included. So at the moment, inclusive is the new exclusive. You can get their health food bars, aren't they? Uh, well, one of we the many that, things that We do that, and then we also do something called Norbles, which I'm showing them at the moment, oh, which are like man. vegan Maltesers. So <gasps> They look delicious. Because all of those snack bars, well, most of them actually have nuts in them. You know, all the protein bars and vegan protein bars as well are, all seem to have nuts in them. So you were woefully under-catered for, weren't you? 
there still is nothing in the free from sections. If you go there, 80 to 90% of the product contains nuts and that's the biggest fatality allergy out there. So it doesn't make sense to me. That is ridiculous. So it's basically don't be vegan and have a nut allergy because you just won't be able to find products. And so, and you hopefully are filling that gap in the market with creative nature. Exactly that. And we have the Norbles. Well, I'm told it tastes like hazelnut, but it's hazelnut. So we've come up with a formula where it tastes like nuts, but there isn't any in there. Hazelnut. I love it. I'm definitely going to try them. And you can get this stuff. You're available in supermarkets now, aren't you, as well as online? Yeah, Asda, Sainsbury's, Morrison's Mm. and uh, Amazon. Julianne owning it over there. Taz owning it over here. So Taz, have you ever felt that the negative comments that you had about your hair, was that from men? No, actually. It was from from women. The funniest comment I had from a guy was a guy who was a social media training and because a lot of the stuff I work with businesses about is building their visibility, we'd got a little bit of crossover going on. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the first time he'd seen me online and he, he said it came in three stages for him. First, he said, oh, there's that woman with pink hair. And mm-hmm. then the next time he thought, there's that lesbian with pink hair. And then the third time he went, there's that lesbian with pink hair and actually she really knows her stuff. So and that's the closest I've got. So actually the majority of, I don't even see them as negative comments, it's just silly comments. Yeah. Usually come Slightly from ignorant. I mean, labels, who needs them? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, we need them to make sure there's not nuts in our products, clearly. But yeah, other well, than that, yeah. literal know. labels. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, both of you, that people treat you differently because you stand out from the crowd? Yes. In a positive way or a negative way or in all the ways? In many different ways. In terms of business, then it helps a lot because I'll get a lot of people who are in business, who are building their brand or who just are low on confidence in their personal lives and they will see Mm -hmm. me walking my talk and think, I need a good tazzing. So that's great. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of people who see me in confidence and erroneously believe I'm in ego. And because of a lot of the spiritual work that I do, I absolutely work to not be in ego. But there are a lot of people who don't understand the difference between confidence and ego you know for me you can absolutely be confident without being egotistical just as you can absolutely be proud of what you've achieved without becoming arrogant um Mm. so i think there's a huge swathe of people out there who have become so used to almost hiding in their own shadow that when they see Mm. someone stepping out into the the limelight if you like and owning that space Mm. they can feel a little bit rattled by that it's funny, isn't it? And and Julianne, you're very youthful looking. You're very softly spoken. You've got this long hair, but you're actually a fucking badass when it comes to business. But do you find that people judge you on the way you look and what they think they're going to get is something very different from what they are actually going to get? Definitely in the early days of the company, I was called a little girl that I would never, ever launch into a supermarket. I was called publicly on a crowdfunding campaign, a child, which didn't help (gasps) things at all. I was also told um, I should bring my white male counterpart to an investment meeting because that's what was needed to make us look more serious. I... Couldn't believe that because when we were in the meeting, which is what I did, I bought my white male counterpart. Every question that was asked, it was, oh, Julianne will answer that. Oh, Julianne will do this. So I thought, what was the point of it? But they said, oh, don't worry. It made you look a lot stronger. 
And I just thought, why do I need somebody else to make me look stronger when I'm mm. speaking the exact same thing that I would have said in the first place? And presumably, and tell me if I'm wrong, but presumably because you were trying to secure funding, you're trying to get your business off the ground, it's almost impossible for women, let's call it as it is, because, you know, a lot of that was to do with your sex and the way you come across. But you couldn't really turn around and go, I'm not having that because you don't want to jeopardise what you're going in there for. So you're essentially your hands are tied from calling people out on it. Exactly. I didn't call anybody out on it until a long mm. time afterwards. And even now and then, mm. I still get it at trade shows. It's, I need to speak to the CEO, I need to speak to the owner. And I've had people point and laugh because I will stand there in jeans in a jumper or a t-shirt. That's how I am. And why shouldn't you? I, exactly, why shouldn't I? And, and I am five foot, just about. Yay, <laughs> I'm five foot one, babe. So <laughs> they just didn't believe my age or what I could do. But through the years, I've slowly built up enough confidence, probably working with like Fiona, which Taz does as well, to build on that yeah. and understand that it's not just about the way we look on the outside, but it's what we do and how we project ourselves. That's how mm -hmm. we can change the perception of people. And it is just standing up for ourselves. Uh, a lot of women don't, and I encourage mm. them to. And a lot of other women put women down. And that's what makes it difficult. That's why I'm so for this women supporting women, because if we can, we've got the world to conquer. I've had something similar way back in the early days, again, when Tweeting Times was about, which was a digital mm. magazine. I mean, my wife, Asher, and, and our friend Phil ran for the Twitterverse, as we used to call it. Phil and I went to a meeting to look for some funding to help with the extra kit for the digitisation. And it was a very similar issue throughout the entire meeting. They addressed Phil and not me. And it was me putting the magazine together. Phil was doing some of the interviews. I think Phil did yours, actually, Sarah. Phil was mm -hmm. there to go and get the sales. But ultimately, I was creating this thing and through the entire meeting, they addressed everything to me and treated me as if I was his secretary. And I'm not going to put up with that ever, ever, ever again. No way. Do you think people don't take you as seriously because of your hair? Because I've definitely had that. I have been referred to, to my face, as fluffy. She's a bit fluffy. I think they will make that mistake only once. <laughs> When I've been really needled about it, I have been known to say something along the lines of, would you like to compare bank accounts? Which is really cocky. Hey! But, you know, sometimes, how many books have you written? How many celebrities have you coached? How many former SAS guys do you have in your group programmes? And sometimes I just want to cut them off at the knees. Most of the time, I can just smile it off. But sometimes, just sometimes, yeah. just stick it where the sun don't shine sunshine I just, you know I, I do find it unfathomable that looking young and not taken seriously having bright pink hair can not be taken seriously or actually being a woman not taken seriously yeah. and it's no wonder that our hair and our perception of ourselves is so intertwined with our mental health actually yeah. i remember because I've dyed my hair all different colours and I will continue to because I just like messing with the colours. I think at some point I'll probably end up being like a chestnut brown. I quite fancy that. But for the time being, I'm really liking the pink. But I remember this was only a few years ago when I still had red hair. So I've only been blonde or pastel pink for about two or three years. And I had wrestled with dyeing my hair blonde because I was worried that I would be getting rid of the last vestiges of my former fame. I was like, people won't recognise me anymore. And A, why does it even matter? But also, I kind of feel sad that that's how I felt. And by the time I was brave enough 
to diet blonde, I no longer really cared about my former life. Do you know what I mean? But it was almost like by changing my hair colour, I um, retired my TV presenter persona. Isn't that funny? And then, yeah, when I did diet, it was very liberating, actually. Well, There's a power in that, isn't there? Yeah, and also it's just, I am me. I was a TV presenter. That doesn't define me. Being a mother doesn't define me. What is that Dr. Zeus quote about being you? Nobody is youer than you. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, um, absolutely. and I tell my children that. It's absolutely lovely and, and, you know, unique. So that's my penny's worth. But I have to say, and I really feel for you both, because I've had the fluffy bimbo blonde thing that Taz has probably had to put up with quite a bit. And then Julianne, I've obviously, because I'm quite petite as well, and I've had that people don't really take me seriously. And it just must drive you mad. Although now, I guess you're having the last laugh. Yeah, exactly (laughs) so. And it it is kind of nice to go back and speak to those people that did put you down at the beginning. And you don't even have to say anything because what you've done speaks for it. And I love Taz's thing about compare the bank accounts because that's hilarious. (laughs) Are you banking that one? <laughs> no pun intended. I think there's, there's, there's such a power, actually, in accepting that people will sometimes underestimate us. And there's a meme I put out a while back, actually, where I said, that, go ahead, underestimate me. Let people underestimate you. Just smile sweetly and then hand them a handkerchief to wipe the egg off their faces later. Just let them get on with it. And now, yeah. where I used to be a little bit rocked by the, what if they're right? What if I can't get clients? What if people will think I'm silly? And now... I can absolutely own that space and almost take pleasure in people underestimating me or making Mm. assumptions. You know what they say about assumptions, don't they? Makes an ass out of you and me. I find that when good things start happening, my confidence goes up and then more good things start happening. But when things aren't so good, like from a coaching perspective, how can I get myself to feeling how I feel when the good things are happening to me? There are so many tools for that, but I think that the big thing to remember is that we have to do maintenance. I mean, before I got to this point, in my background, you know, I came through abuse. I tried to check out and ended up breaking my back in three places. I tried to check out a couple of times and Mm. obviously I'm so very, very glad that I failed. My greatest failure and greatest success rolled into one. Mm -hmm. I've been through breakdown, burnout, been on and off antidepressants. But the thing that's so, so important is maintenance. Mm. because it's very easy isn't it think well I'm feeling great right now I don't need to do anything because I just feel on top of the world and it's awesome Mm. but if we're not still doing maintenance every day we are going to slip you know energy naturally undulates we're going to have ups we're going to have downs you know and whenever anyone says well I wish I could just have a constant level well think of that in terms of a heart monitor you know ups and downs the second you have a just normal flat line you're dead so don't aim for a flat line But you do need to make sure that you're doing your maintenance. So for me, it's coming up with five things I'm grateful for every morning. You know, I have a gratitude coach. She's a director of a network marketing company. And I have slipped Taz and I don't do them. So I need to start getting back on that maintenance. That is a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And I want to ask Julianne, how do you stay on top of your mental health? If indeed you do, you know, do you have to work at it? I think the switching off is really difficult. Um, It's always been for me since the beginning of the business. It's the baby and it's been really hard to get Mm. the right team in place. Uh, Over the last year in particular, we had a goal because we were getting married. So it was we were going to take the time off no matter what, come hell or high water. Mm -hmm. We've got to have the team ready to be able to do that. And that was just really interesting for me to understand when I did actually take that time off, I got really overwhelmed in the first week I didn't understand Mm -hmm. why my body was so overwhelmed it's because I hadn't taken a break in two and a half years 
Did you enjoy the break or was it actually the fact that you had to hand over the responsibility for your baby to somebody else? Did that make you anxious? I would have been so anxious at relinquishing control. I was to begin with. However, the team is incredible. And I, Trudy, our head of sales, she is an amazing woman. And without her Mm. there I don't think I would have felt as comfortable I did get anxiety Mm -hmm. I did get stressed and she will probably tell you that I still logged on every single day which I did but you asked me what I do to keep on top of things and how I kept going without burnout and Mm. I probably have burnt out but not realized it but lists are so important to me. I don't know if anyone's used things like Trello or HubSpot, anything like that. I find actually physically writing something down and then actually crossing them off each day. I have a set amount that I write the previous day and I see how well I've done as well. And going back, those little wins that you get, those things make me happy I love that crossing out feeling it's like a Mm -hmm. I don't know when you climb a mountain and you've got to the top and you're like yes I've done that I've achieved it and the other thing when you are really down because I have had those days when I feel absolute shit I feel like I can't do this I want to give up it's about looking back at those good times like why not get those pictures out from that award ceremony? Why not remember the, the talk that Taz, you and I had this day? Those are the things that will get you through it. And give that person a call yeah. or give that person a text. I'm sure they will reply to you. But even if it's nothing to do with work or you can't help them in any shape or form, maybe you can just tell them a joke or make them smile. And if you can do that, you've done something good in your day and it actually makes the other person feel just as good. Yeah, it's just not being alone with your worry and with your anxiety, isn't it? And I think that's a mistake that we all make. And this, again, Taz, it's sort of difficult because I've read all the books. I know gratitude, positivity, all of that. But when I then do slump, I feel like I've let myself down. Do you know what? I think that's one of the biggest culprits. We compare ourselves not just to other people, but we compare ourselves to the us of yesterday or last week Mm. too much. And I think we all need to give ourselves a break. And, you know, I'm ubiquitous across social media. I'm all over the place. But I think one of the problems with social media is the fake book and Instagram generation, where we Mm. only ever put stuff out there that has this kind of faux veneer of everything being perfect and happy. Mm. I have all the tools and I still occasionally have a day where I just want to hide under the duvet. And I think we need to allow ourselves that. Again, that's the natural fluctuation. But what I'm always keen to do when I have a day like that is I will frequently hit social media and say, guys, I'm having a really shit day. I feel really low. I've gone Mm. from amazing to I don't want to be here anymore in like zero Mm. to 60 seconds. I'm telling you now because somebody else might be feeling like this. I'm telling you Mm. now because it's really important to not put people on pedestals and think that everybody else has got it okay. And I'm also Mm. telling you this for accountability. This is what I'm going to do to shift my mood. And sometimes we can just sit and wait for it to pass. But sometimes we can actively do something. And that might be as simple as just sitting and being with our breath for a few minutes until we start to centre a little bit more. There's another thing that's really, really important that I think we all easily forget, particularly if we're in the self-employed or entrepreneurial space, is Mm. that we need to remember the power of humility. So all the Mm. time I can talk about confidence and feeling your best self. And, you know, I talk about being powerful with a hyphen in the middle because it's about stepping into our power being filled Mm. with power rather than having power over things. But to balance that, we have to have humility. 
So, you know, where I was saying earlier that I've been tempted to drop that cocky draw and compare bank accounts comment, there are going to be mm. people out there with bank accounts much bigger than mine. And mm. also, the stuff that I have at the moment in terms of materialism, that could be taken away at any moment. So I think mm. it's so important to remember the root of things, to not identify ourselves by our levels of material success and to have the gratitude for all that we've learned, for all that we have, for all that we do, and the humility to remember where we've come from and to remember that there are other people who are going to be climbing up there. And for me, if I get to the top of that mountain we were talking about earlier, I want to reach down and help other people up. And if they climb higher than me, that's okay, because mm -hmm. I've given something back and I've been able to share my experiences in a positive way. I think that's massively important. I think not enough of us are doing it. Absolutely. I want to ask you both, how do you switch off? If indeed you do, what's your a way to relax? Do you, I mean, do you get massages or anything like that? I don't really do that, but it is something that I've put forward as a thing that I need to do this year. For me, I guess it's keeping a routine. It's, it's Zumba is my outlet. Also, because we were getting married, I enjoy dance. Like I used to do tap, modern, jazz, all when I was a child. So uh -huh. my relaxation was getting my other half to learn a dance routine. And I found that really got me out of my shell again. And physically, I wasn't relaxing because I was doing a lift. But mm. mentally, I was relaxing away from work. And I think everyone's mm. very, very different. I'm not saying go and do a dance or go for a run. You need to pick what really makes you happy. And I think that is key. If it's watching Disney movies, it's watching Disney movies. You go and do mm. that. But choose that thing that really makes you happy and makes your mind truly let go of what you're worrying about and what you're doing at the time. Taz, what do you do to switch off? I find it almost impossible. I think everything Julianne just said, and mm. I also think time management is key. So... I used to find it ridiculously difficult to switch off because, again, with entrepreneurial head on, I'm spinning so many different plates, mm -hmm. doing so many different things. And it's very, very easy to spread ourselves too thinly or particularly with my coaching head on to be constantly on call, which isn't healthy for either you or mm -hmm. your clients. So at first we started to organize my diary where I had Taz Tuesdays and Tuesdays were off. But then that became right. admin day. So that disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I've now got to the point where I take the last week of every month off. And that's for me to do whatever I want. And at first I thought, how am I going to be able to do that? It was a friend of mine, Andrea Pennington, who's another coach, said she was doing it. I was like, how are you getting a month's worth of work into three weeks? And she just kind of looked at me and went, Taz, if you organize your diary properly, you can do it. Except in a better accent than that, you know. <laughs> and I thought, I'll try it. And it works. So three weeks on, one week of doing absolutely anything that I want to do. And I don't think mm -hmm. I could go back from that now. I don't think I'd want to. How long have you been doing it? A couple of years now. Oh, wow. That is absolutely incredible. I think that it's really important to prioritise time just for you, isn't it? But there's obviously yeah. a fine balance because I'm such a doer that I would feel like too much time off would make me feel anxious, bizarrely. But then it depends what you do with that time off. So in that week, I might be reading a business or personal development book. So oh, it's kind yes, of on. So. I'm still working on me and my development, yeah. but yeah. I'm not doing any forward-facing client work. Obviously, if, if a gig drops in, if I have a big speaking gig that drops and it happens to be mm. on that week, of course I'm going to do it because I love doing it. It is nearly time to love and leave you. But I mean, Taz, this is probably going to take 10 minutes anyway, but tell us what you're <laughs> doing and what you're about. Because there's not much, Julianne, that she doesn't do, is there? 
No, no, I don't know what she doesn't do. It's funny, a lot of people think that, and yet there's a common thread through everything that I do. It's all about empowering and supporting and motivating other people. The key to all of it is don't do anything that doesn't fill you up. And in the early yeah. days of running a business, it's difficult not to because you've got to chase the money. But then at some point, yeah. you have to flip and start chasing the joy. And when mm. you get to that point where you can start chasing the joy, you know, my hashtag is Unleash Your Awesome. I get so much joy from helping mm. other people to realise they have this massive, awesome pot of untapped potential inside us. And we all think we don't have a story or we don't have anything to share. And we all do. You've got to flip it away from chasing the money into chasing the joy or bringing the joy towards you. Wake up every day thinking, who needs me to bring my A game today? How can Mm -hmm. I serve today? Who needs me to be my best today? And for me, when I go into that zone, that fills me up too. Wonderful. Where can we find you? Everywhere. TazThornton.com. You can get through to me everywhere from there. Twitter, LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse. Search Taz Thornton and I'll pop up. There she is. And you'll know her because she's got bright pink hair. (laughs) I have. What about you, Julianne? Where can we find you? And uh, what's next for Creative Nature? Well, next for us, I want to change the way people shop in Freeform. I want to really change allergen policies. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that no one has to sit alone at the allergy table like I did. I want to make sure Mm -hmm. that flights people are catered from. I was recently on a flight where I couldn't get on because I had a nut allergy. I don't want that to ever to happen to anybody else. No, really? Yep, they banned me from the flight and they said they wouldn't give my money back because I had a nut allergy. What? I thought that flights were not free now. Like, so people with serious allergies can fly and be risk-free. So did I, but apparently not all flights. So certain carriers will not update their policies. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. My personal website, which is julianneponen.com, I'm on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then my company name is Creative Nature Superfoods. Wonderful. Oh, girls, thank you so much. It's been absolutely joyful to talk to you. I feel my cup overfloweth. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, And it's, yeah, it's just lovely to talk positively about the way our hair and our looks are so much part of our mental health and our identity. I think, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there and the Big Hairy podcast has been a real force for positivity and I have been very much enjoying that journey. And that's all down to you guys, so thank you very much. The Big Hairy podcast is brought to you by The Beauty Works, an innovative and affordable hair, skin and cosmetics brand, which is dedicated to clean beauty and high performance. All of their products are 90 to 95% natural and vegan wherever possible, using quality, ethically sourced ingredients in advanced formulations for people who care about their health as well as the planet. In keeping with the Beautyworks Clean Beauty Statement, the products contain no harsh chemicals or toxic ingredients, are free from parabens, dyes, petrochemicals and phthalates, and are not tested on animals. Join the Beautyworks revolution and love the skin you live in by visiting thebeautyworks.co.uk or follow them on Instagram at thebeautyworks. That's beautyworks with an X. Thank you for listening to the Big Hairy Podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.